It's good. Last night we talked about how healthy churches proclaim the gospel, proclaim good news. And so when I only have two swings at a group of men, or pretty much anywhere I go, if I only had two things to say, I'd want to talk about the gospel, and then I'd want to talk about discipleship. And I appreciate the fact that the leaders of this retreat said, yes, do that, and because uh, it really is what I enjoy. And so go with me to Matthew 28, for starters, because healthy churches don't just proclaim the gospel, but in doing that, and as they do that, they are going to disciple. They are going to walk with people and allow God to guide those people forward into a spiritual faith, a real faith in Jesus Christ, and then living that faith out. Um, And this passage just kind of directs our hearts there. You know it well. But sometimes I think we read a passage, and I've done this with this passage in Matthew, where I read the passage and I think about the verbs, because I was trained well, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do. But we miss the picture. And so... When I look at this, I start in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. This passage is set up relationally. Um, If we're going to define discipleship, we always want to define, and it's not wrong, we need to do this, define what are the things we're supposed to say. But there is a whole dynamic of years behind verse 16 that goes into this passage. Um, It's Jesus having walked personally with men. A tremendous waste of time. I mean, that's what we think as pastors sometimes, even as lay leaders. Like, really? Like, think about how many hours they walk just dusty road together. Um, Trying to figure out where to get food, you know. Drawing straws, someone into Samaria to get it. Some, you know, Jesus stayed by the well. I mean, just think about all of the lost time, because we think like Americans. And in thinking like Americans, sometimes we just think about, okay, here's the three things I need to tell each man in my church. They need to do these things, and onward we march. And we need to do that, but we need to do that in a time-wasting way. I'll just say that. I mean, some of us, I'm just made to to mark the tasks off. Okay. And so I blew a ton of ministry because I was driving so hard. And I'm trying still to learn to see the truth of what Jesus did. And our culture is different, so you're not going to walk down too many dusty roads. I do in North Dakota. I find it just really good place to disciple. Um, You know, changing tires that have been blown by horrible rock roads. It's great. Okay, these are learning environments, terrific times with young people. This passage would say the same thing, 11 disciples, and these men went and met Jesus. There is something profound that had happened between them. There was truth that had been laid to their heart, example that had been given to them in such a way that they went and met him. And one of the big questions I get as I talk about discipleship is, how do you get men motivated to do this? I can't get my men to do this. Maybe we need to go spend time with our men. And I'm talking about every man here. You all have your men, okay? This is not a pastor message, okay? There's There's no label on it. Discipling is us. It's what we do, okay? And so you have your men. Go spend time with them. Serve them. Walk with them. Cry with them. Laugh with them. Watch pointless football games with them, because you need to do some of that. I mean, if it's Nebraska, it's pointless. Okay, let's just be clear. (laughs) The shirt was free, okay? You guys are so judgmental. Unbelievable. 
<laughs> it's great. Eleven disciples. He goes and he walks with them. He fishes with them, right? Some of you need to bow hunt with them. Um, and I'm not saying go spend your life doing inane things and don't get to the three important things. Oh, that would be horrible. It needs to turn out like this where they come, they show up, and then you drill them with the most important thing. They take it and do it. So don't mistake Jesus, his slow marching with these men as ineffective. You could never say that about these disciples. So the fruit better come screaming out the other end somewhere in what we do. But discipleship, it has a follow, that's what disciples to be a follower and to be an imitator. These are, these are what, this is what this word means. Um, it's a relationship between people. They're imitating your skill, your intentionalness. In other words, your disciple should begin to disciple soon. You say, but they're a mess, and you're not? Like, really? You think that, you've, you know, that people who disciple are the guys who've arrived? Let me tell you, we are not. I'm drilling a hole in my garage ceiling to uh, hang this apparatus so I could store project wood because we just moved into this house. That's not why it's leaking. Just, okay. That's at the other end of the house, just so this story's clear, okay? So I'm, <laughs> now I'm in trouble. I, I'm, I'm starting to drill this hole. My wife is there because she's handing me tools so I don't have to come up and down the ladder. And she goes, uh, are you sure you should drill there? No, I'm doing it just, you know, test case, fun. You know, I don't, I don't know how to answer my wife sometimes, really. Uh, and she goes, there might be electric. No, my wife has no idea how electric runs through a house. And she, she's asking me these questions. And, and I, I flunked the, the little test from Jesus uh, a few days ago and had to come back to her and say, I was kind of rude there. And she did not go, you're okay. She went, mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you laughing at my failure? I, it's not... It's not good. And it wasn't very many words, but it had to be walked backwards. And I had to say, you know, I, I need to answer these things. It's also possible that the way she's interacting with me, maybe she needs to change. I had done enough wrong there. I wasn't about to touch that. Uh, I just needed to get my part right and not examine her. I, I say that if you think you have arrived and that's when you're going to get to disciple, this just does not happen. Jesus did. He was always there. But the rest of us that he has commanded that as we go, make disciples. It's a simple command. And he says, I've given you authority. He didn't say, I've made you so perfect that you can do this. You know, I gave you authority. In other words, I've said, go do it. It's that simple. And he's given us power in that authority. We know that from other passage. He gives us authority and he says, go and do this. And so I'm going to look at you all, all message, keep looking at you. I hope it bears into your soul so who are you discipling? You say, well, I'm 18. I don't remember there being an age in here. Who are you discipling? There are younger men who look up to you, and if they're not, you need to go meet them and disciple them. It's possible an older guy, 25, 30 years old, is looking at you because of how you walk at work and would be a ready disciple. There are people, discipleship is just people following us. It involves relationship. It's imitation of skill, of our intentionality. It's imitation of our love, and therefore we must love. I mean, in Ephesians it says, imitate me, right? Imitate God and love. That's what it says, Ephesians 5. So we need to love um, in such a way that's unmistakable. And 
the biggest piece here in defining a uh, discipleship and his mandate is we must be connected to Jesus. These men were his disciples, and they were going from him to others. Um, you, the most important thing, and some of you ate enough sweet roll this morning or whatever those decadent things were, that you're almost done listening. I get that, okay? So if you get one thing today, all discipleship is, is you connecting people to Jesus because you're connected to Jesus. In its simplest format, don't overthink it in some ways. So the mandate, and I, I would say healthy churches disciple. But when I travel to churches and I ask men when I'm in their home or wherever else, so who are you walking through the process of their Christian walk? Who are you discipling? It's almost always crickets. They just, they're not doing it. And in some cases they are, but they haven't labeled it. Okay, because there's very formal discipleship where we meet with somebody on a regular basis and walk through a planned, intentional curriculum. You know what? We need to do that. I'm pretty sure Jesus knew exactly what he was doing as he walked each dusty road. Everything working together, everything purposeful from what they saw, memory device. I mean, he was on it, okay? Lots to learn from his intentionality that was spontaneous at the same time. Like, he's gifted discipler. But many of you have already started to disciple because you say spiritual things in the foyer at church. You go and help somebody with a project. A younger guy calls you, I don't know, am I going to electrocute myself or is this going to work? You know what I mean? And you go and help him. And you say something spiritual out of your walk with Jesus. And you say, yeah, but I only do that with that guy like three or four times a year. I'm telling you, he's probably looking at you like you disciple him in his soul. And it's possible then that you should up the ante in that relationship and do a little more intentionally with him. Well, think about that. You know, this is God's genius plan. Now, this is what he's, if this is what discipleship is in kind of a cloud, clumsy definition that I've given, um, it's really God's genius plan. And that's the only kind of plans God makes, by the way. When I think about um, this, I'm going to go back to the verse we were in last night in Philippians 1, and you have Paul speaking about how they are, uh, in, if, excuse me, in Philippians 1:14, he says, "Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear." They're speaking that word to other believers. They're speaking that word to lost people. You see uh, the fruit from this because Paul goes from speaking to the imperial guard and he finishes the book greeting those who are the house of Caesar, Caesar's household in the last chapter. So obviously some of that imperial guard is now in the church um, and, and he's speaking to them, speaking to those that have been one. Um, when I think of God's genius plan, I think about multiplication. Um, this year, my wife and I were on a walk. This is just like a month ago. We're on a walk uh, down a bike trail, and we got to see uh, a doe with three fawn. And they stood there. I mean, we're walking our dogs, so it was obviously, you know, acidified deer uh, in Oberlin, you know, where we live now. <laughs> um, it's a golf course region, so they think people are normal. And uh, so this, this doe, even with our dogs on the leash, literally 35 feet from us, this doe stood there with three fawn. It was all spotted, just beautiful. It's breathtaking. And that doe didn't sit there and go, I wonder if I should have fawns. Right? You say, no, God just made it to do that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of deer to shoot and eat. Right? Amen. I'm, somebody's with it this morning. That's good. 
There are, and it's just God's natural genius plan. Most of you got married and expected to have children. And we're sorrowful when we don't. Because multiplication is just image of God, natural plan. I go duck hunting, and I have no guilt over shooting my limit. Because, I mean, they did change the regs this year for bluebills, because we limited five days in a row on bluebills in uh, North Dakota, so I'm sure we shot too many. No, I'm kidding. They didn't change the plan, because ducks, and we've you know, kept careful ecology. I mean, they multiply it's amazing, and, and there's nuisance geese seasons, multiple places. Why? Because the multiplication happens. One corn kernel, this is dangerous in Iowa, so get, correct me later. One corn kernel can become easily 1,600 without question. And it can be, if you're a good farmer, much more than that. Isn't that amazing? That's how we eat like we do, right? Pigs, I'm still in trouble in Iowa, so f- fix me. But my research on Google, which is always right, <laughs> but one pig, one sow can, can over a lifetime become 60, from what I understand, in a fairly normal, well, intelligent setting. That's fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic multiplication. You do the math. Um, one, if you disciple one man per year who disciples one man the next year and you take on a new man, and if that, if that worked out perfectly, you know, really good discipleship, in 10 years, there would be 512 people discipled. And so I'm giving you the simplest of assignments. Go home and disciple how many people? 500? Just one. I think probably to make it work as I've tried to build some of these things in my life, and I've not produced 510 years, to my knowledge. But is to disciple one new person. So really ask God, would you help me lead one man to Christ that I could disciple? So ask for one person to come to Christ each year that you could disciple and be discipling the person from the year before. I think that's a it seems like, you know, that reverse Abraham prayer. God, would you save the city for 10? You know, I mean, I think God, because there weren't 10, he didn't. But, I mean, don't you think God would answer when he has commanded discipleship to just ask for one? You say, I don't think I'd be that good. Okay. Um, a fi- if, let's say you're, you're shy of that. You think, I just, I don't know. Then go home and disciple one man per year in your church that already is redeemed. Just do that in such a way that he would disciple someone. So start with redeemed guys already in front of you, and you only need one to get going. You know, in, in five years, you could, you could have 16 men with you that are ready to go. Then start witnessing. Now, I'm not saying go home and work at this for five years and don't witness. That's not in the Bible, okay? Uh, this is an illustration, <laughs> because don't do that. Uh, but I'm thinking during that five years, probably someone else would get saved, and you'd have some guys, even if you weren't focused on that, and just just work at that. You know, we were, I was meeting with a church that we've been working with uh, since 2017, I think it was, 2016, 2017, and as we walk with churches in discipleship and being intentional, we, like John, look at them and say, you know, some are children, some are young men, some are fathers, and each church kind of defines that. It's not judgmental. Uh, my 
10-month-old granddaughter is just starting to walk. I don't look at her like, how come you're not dribbling a soccer ball yet? I don't. I did buy her a number one because she needs to start, you know. But I, I, but I uh, you know, it's, it's not happening yet, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't get on her for that. We don't get on somebody because they're a child in the faith. We go, cool, they're a child. This is what they need. Let's go. Let's build this. Let's see young man appear out of this. Let's see father come out the other end. This is just God's plan, his genius plan. This church, as they were working on that, they had a label they used of people at church, not yet member, certainly redeemed. That's a positive title, right? They're redeemed, they're at church, but they're not a member yet. Okay, so we're focused on this. They need to take the next step. And when this is a smaller church, when they did their count, they had 19 people, 19 adults that were in their church, certainly saved, and were not members yet. And this, this church probably at the time ran about 45 people. And obviously those people aren't there every week. And uh, now, uh, and I give this illustration because that didn't change in a year. Matter of fact, I don't think that number changed at all the first year. But they were discipling men at the upper end. And now, in, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were with this church, and they were redoing their numbers, and they realized that 15 of those 19 had gotten baptized and joined the church. In three years. Three and a half years. Isn't that exciting? And they got to that number because they were redoing their numbers and they realized we have 40 people in this category. We have failed. <laughs> no, they hadn't failed. 15 had moved forward. And you know what happens when people move forward? They grab a hold of all kinds of people. That's why there were 40. So now they're going, yes, we got 40 people. What if in three years, 30 of them are baptized and moving and serving in the church? I mean, that's pretty, do you get excited by that stuff? And, and those numbers, those aren't, those aren't big numbers. Those are just regular old church kind of working at stuff. And it doesn't happen immediately, but let me tell you, it's God's genius plan. And that's what those men said. They said, you know, we've just been doing this stuff. God said, disciple, we're doing it. And in some ways, I was a little irritated. Like, you didn't know this till you sat here? Because I'm the, you know, irritator person, prophet, I don't know what I am, but I, you know, I'm like, you didn't realize this till you sat here, but you know, they're just doing the work, and they, you know, it's, it, they shouldn't probably notice all at once, but now they look, and they're like, wow, doing the right things, discipling, and God causes that movement. Multiplication is part of his plan. Also, dependent grace. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. So 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> verse 10, says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I know it's Paul talking, but can you say amen to that? Oh, man. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So he's talking about other men and how they're proclaiming the gospel um, but he looks at himself and he says, by the grace of God, this is who I am. And that's, that's how we're redeemed, right? For by grace you're saved. It's not by us. And it's by the grace of God that we become what we become as disciples. And yet, don't miss that Paul clearly said, I work harder than all of them. Right? So there is, you have got to determine, like I said last night, to own it. Okay? You got to say, I am going to work hard at this thing called discipleship. And that's not what's going to move the needle. It's going to be the grace of God. But 
Working hard is what God is gracing you to do. So you can't sit back and go, well, I'll disciple when pastor makes a discipleship plan. Oh my goodness. Like, it's never commanded in the Bible that a pastor orchestrates something like that. It's not a bad thing to foster, but the truth is it's just commanded that we would go do this as men. And so determine that by the grace of God, you're going to slave at this. That it's going to be what you're doing. And, and do it by God's grace. So that when it goes slowly and badly, you know, I was appreciating what Pastor Capon said when he was talking about just having regular conversation with people. I could spend the whole Q&A giving examples of crash and burn by way of my ability with people sharing the gospel. And, and some of the stories are frightening to me, like how badly something went. And I, I told one gentleman, even this morning, I said, practice on, <laughs> practice on frightening like that. No, uh, <laughs> practice on people that uh, you do not know because it usually goes very badly at first, right? Because it's just awkward. I don't know how to do this. And, 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 and I was a pastor for 10 years before this became my obedience, my direction and understanding. And so, you know, again, be dependent upon the grace of God. Don't worry about how it came out. Listen to him, abide in him, work really hard. I practiced on strangers every day when I ran. So I'd run around this lake back in the day. And so for like, I, for, I literally practiced for two years before I started really pushing the envelope with people like my neighbors. And I'm not saying that's what you need to do, but I, I was afraid. And so I started with, with people I didn't know as I ran around this lake, and there were people there all the time. And I'd be running my dog, and I would just have conversations with them. And some went badly, and, and some we got all the way to the gospel. And I just began to build, I, I was saying to this man, build a spiritual muscle, an outreach muscle. It doesn't happen all at once. You know, when you start lifting weights, nothing happens except soreness, right? I mean, there is nothing visible that's happy uh, when you do those kind of things. Um, you start to run again, you just hurt, right? I mean, this is reality. And I would say that, that witnessing and discipling, the first several men I discipled to be pastors fell morally. That was crushing to me. I almost gave up. But I understand it's the grace of God, and I'm going to work harder. And I learned from my inadequacies. I mean, they failed by their own decisions, but I had not helped them well in some areas. And so I determined those will have to change. And, by, and I'm not going to quit. I am going to let God grow where I walk. You can say amen to those things because that's how, I'm telling you, that's how we have to function. And that's why I share this verse. Third thing, love's personal impact. First John 4.19, we know this verse, right? We love God because he, this is a, just an incredible principle. It's, it's a principle that gives us a view into human nature. People commit to do things because you have loved them in a way that they can't explain. Um, I had a guy come to me once. He was gray, ashen. He was talking 100 miles an hour, which in Wisconsin, I mean, I'm from New York, so I talk 100 miles an hour. But in Wisconsin, that's not normal. You know, men usually in Wisconsin, we, our idea of talking is... Uh -huh. 
You know, that's like a whole sentence, you know. So, like, and I get that. Like, I, I can totally be there. My wife listens to me on the phone. She's like, did you, you didn't even use any words. Dad said, yeah, yeah. No problem. You know, it's just, we get that, right? As men, we understand that. But this guy comes in and he's ashen. He's talking a thousand miles an hour. He's still coming off cocaine and he's struggling with his lifestyle that's alternative and he's hooked on drugs and he looks at me and I honestly, I didn't think he was going to remember the appointment. (laughs) And so I get really frank when that happens. And I just said, why did you come to me? Because I didn't know him at all. He goes, you buried my uncle a few years ago and what you said about God made me know that you wouldn't judge me, you would help me. I'm so glad, right? Because I can work from that point of grace. He felt, he understood grace and love, they go together. He saw my love apparently at that funeral from years before. And at his descent and deep struggle, he could come and say, I knew you would help me. Love's personal impact. What does that look like? You know, if, if grace is us understanding and building things for ourselves, like being okay with our failure, grace is also you being okay with someone else's failure. When someone I'm discipling flunks, I just go, okay, put it back a gear, start again. I don't go, they don't care. What's wrong with them? I hear so much judgmental stuff from spiritual leaders about people who struggle. I struggle. I didn't pay attention to my dad for whole stretches, but I go to him for advice all the time now. Right? I mean, if my dad had quit on me, I wouldn't have what I need now from him. He didn't quit. He graced me. He loved me. He spent time with me when I was incorrigible, right? Sometimes forcing it because it was the only safe place for me to be. And he spent time. I don't know, one day I come to me, my son is in trouble. I'm like, take him to a baseball game. He's like, what kind of counsel is that? I'm like, do you, do you know what's troubling your son? No, but he's being a jerk. You don't even understand him. Just go sit at a baseball game. He'll think I rewarded him. Good. Does God reward you when you're messing up? All the time. All the time he graces me. And so we need to think about what does that look like with the guy that you're going to go home and start to have discipleship relationship with? What does that look like? Don't look at that failure. Notch it back. Start there. That doesn't work with him. Give him a break. Come back again. Try again. I had guys I approached every year for five years, and they said no every time, and I kept notching back the type of stuff, and two things either happened. Either they got tired of me asking, and they took the lowest common denominator thing I was saying to them, and they tried it, and then I had opportunity to really love them, and usually it moved forward. Or they flunked so badly in life that they came looking for help because they knew I would because I had kept coming and asking them. And so when I look at these principles, they don't fix things in a day, right? This is the long haul genius plan of God to just love people because why do you go to God? Because He loved you first. Don't wait for your wife to come and fix something. Go love her first because you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Go first. Initiate kindness and love in every circumstance is what that passage is saying because that's what the Father does. And sometimes it's sternness. 
I had a young man come to me, he goes, he's you know, new in discipleship, he'd gone through what we call our step B, this was a couple years ago. He's like, I think I'm ready, he'd done one B, we do two classes, and, and he's a really bright young man. And he says, I think I'm ready for C, can I do C this year? Because he was kind of off schedule and he'd have to wait a whole year. And, and I said, no, you didn't do your homework very well in, in the first B. I mean, he thought, if some dude wants to be discipled, pastor's going to say yes no matter what. <laughs> He's wrong. You're going to be discipled, but you're going to go back and redo B correctly. And he was a little crestfallen. He's like, you notice that? Yeah. Why didn't you say anything? I said, would it have done any good? No. Okay. Is it going to do good now? Yes. <laughs> and that's the young man who's at gunsmith school. Taking C, seeing answer to prayer and showing up on his toughest week of assignments where he is buried with his homework done and God is moving in his heart. You know, this takes, love has different looks to it as we disciple. Love, God's genius plan is fellowship. 1 John 1, uh, verses 3 and 4, if you turn over there. Verses 3 and 4 says, that which we have seen, this is John talking, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John says, we met God, we knew who he was, we saw it in Jesus Christ and we've witnessed all that. Now we make that known to you as you believe that you have fellowship with us with the God that we have known and made known to you and that makes our joy full. Let me tell you, discipleship has drudgery, hard work, and some failure in it, but there is no sweeter joy. Uh, when they asked me to consider being president, my wife's biggest concern was he better still be able to disciple because that's when he's happiest. Because the, it's the joy of seeing young men and old men get it with God and take the next step. Like, I just, I can get up every morning when I know that's in front of me. Because this is what God made us to do. This is what God is doing constantly, nurturing and, and getting you ready. I mean, he put you here to hear this. Um, from multiple people at once this weekend. I mean, it's awesome. This is how God loves you. Go enjoy, and it's, it's God's joy according to John 15, and it can be your joy like it was John's in 1 John. Fellowship, that does not mean that we're just watching football together, but we are talking of the things of God. We are not just factually. I think sometimes we talk factually about God, and what we need to be doing is talking about our relationship with him. Don't just describe God. Talk about your relationship. How is God working in your life? Based upon scripture, because I don't want you to make it up and say something that's not true, right? But speak of how his relationship is moving you forward. How's it nurturing you? I think sometimes we get caught in the factual understanding of God, but we don't really have relationship. I mean, if my wife came to me and said, I love you, and I said, you have blue eyes, and you have curly hair, she'd go, I know. And I could even say it to my buddy, you know my wife, she's got curly hair. What does that mean? Like, Sometimes, now I'm telling you, I think she's drop-dead gorgeous because of her curly hair. But that's not a fact. That has something to do with all the teasing I've done as she wakes up and it's everywhere, right? It's something about the relationship that we have. And I can sit in church and pull one of those curls, and it does something between us that it's supposed to do, right? It's not a fact. 
And you say, this is cheapening relationship with God to use your husband-wife relationship. Really? Paul said it's an example. Because relationship's weird for us as men. We don't like being intimate, naturally. We like to be independent, especially as Americans. We don't speak openly of what we feel. But let me tell you, the Psalms are full of that. Uh, Paul has angst and encouragement and intensity, zealousness in what he says. We need to culture some of that. And the way it happens is, is with you and God. I'm a factual task guy. I would not be emotive and relational except for Jesus Christ. And he has forced me to do a lifelong pursuit of that so it would become who I am because it's who God is with me and with you. And he's waiting for you to really engage that from his word in a personal way. And you say, I'm not sure how to do that. Then while you go disciple someone, go find someone to disciple you. Because a lot of this is, is caught as you walk with a man who understands what it is to walk with Jesus in an intimate way, not just know facts about him. Fellowship, that's what fellowship is. Lastly is hope, because we have a lot of discouragement, right? And if God's genius plan, it always involves hope. I, I don't really have time to unwrap all of this, but just quickly at Romans, I pick passages for this reason that we know, but Romans 5 and just hope is mentioned twice in these first few verses. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, so we are absolutely made right with God, because that we have peace with God, and see that through him, through Jesus Christ, we've obtained access by faith. So we believed, we're justified. We know that. We use this verse this way. He said, but we have through this faith grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if I'm truly redeemed by faith, I understand that I have grace, and grace always produces hope. So when I lack hope, run to God's grace of how he's justified you. So when you're lacking that hope because you've been sloven and lazy and wrongful in your relationships, confess that sin because by grace we confess and that fellowship with God is renewed. I have standing with him even in my sin such that though I sin, I have peace with God. If that does not give you hope because that requires nothing of you, amen? That's just his gifts to us that infuses just a little bit of hope. And man, it only takes a little bit of hope to be obedient. But hope deferred makes the heart sick and will be unable to move without that hope. A lot of guys who will not move forward with you in discipleship do not move forward, not because they're bad men and resistant in rebellion. It's because they lack hope. They do not see themselves as someone who could grow. And these verses are saying, that is not true. You've been availed of this grace. And if you don't know that, teach them that. Or maybe they're not really redeemed. So teach them the gospel so they would have this hope. And he says, he says not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So it's a fail-safe measure. When I lack hope, I go back to this grace, and the Holy Spirit himself will put hope in me every time. And I have to go to this spot often as I serve so that I have hope. And you have to take people there way more than you could ever imagine. Start with hope out of the gospel. 
quickly, if I could say a few practical things just by way of directive. Discipling. So God's genius plan, discipling. Discipling, bare minimum. I said this earlier. I'll say it one more time. Bare minimum is, is connecting people to Christ out of your connection to Christ. Now, that means you have to have a connection to Christ, okay? So it starts, discipling starts with the one. That's capital. Oh, it is. Good. It starts with the one. So you with Jesus, okay? You can't skip ahead and disciple having not met with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. You're struggling to spend time with Jesus. You're struggling to understand hope. Go to someone who has that relationship with the one so that they can help you be connected or reconnected so that then you can walk forward. It starts with the one. Then it's one-to-one with the one. And how does that happen? With the word of God. They can't be connected to the one by your words, okay? Open the word of God together with one and enter the presence through the word and then prayer because it was reading the word and communicating to God together. You know how many men don't ever pray with other men? And they don't pray with their wives. That is one of the best ways I've been corrected is by listening to my brothers pray. When they pour out their heart to Jesus, Men, I really know who I know value what I value, but I may be struggling. When they pour their heart out to Jesus, they draw me into his presence. I've tasted that. I've known the delight of it. And I recognize I don't have that delight today. And they draw me by being with them one-to-one with the word. And out of the word, the substantive prayer that draws me into his presence. And I am, man, I, am, I go home and I study the word. I go home and I meet with Jesus because they show me by their delight that I have left what I know is delight. You taste it once. I'm telling you, you want more. I mean, I'm that way. I had an Iowa chop at someone's house. They may even be here. And I had never had such a thing off the grill. I, I still dream of that cut of meat. <laughs> I've told my wife about it. She goes, I know. I heard about it. I said, it's not just because the pigs were right there and we were on this farm. It, it was really good. I had it once, okay, because I'm poor Iowa or Ohio dude, you know, and Wisconsin dude, we ate like roadkill, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so you guys like make this stuff and you taste it once. Like, you know what I'm saying? We taste that intimacy with Jesus and you tasted it. If you're redeemed, you've tasted it at least once. You knew how he met you and gave you his presence in the spirit at your redemption. And you may have pushed that aside. You may have buried it with lots of stuff. But I'm telling you, you tasted it once. And God's intention is that you live at that banquet all the time. That's why it's called Lord's Table as we review our salvation. To live with him in that one-to-one with the one. And it's nurtured as one under the one. And what I mean by that is this discipleship stuff is not something you do apart from church. It's part of being infused together as church. If you go home and be a discipler and it has no connection to your church, you have done it wrongly, okay? It's nurtured as one, one body underneath Christ, okay? And one of the ways it's nurtured is by preaching and shepherding that the church brings to encourage you in your process of discipleship. And for you to bring the person you're helping the disciple to hear that stuff. Because as they hear 
the word of God preached and they watch it prayed through and people functioning together in holiness, that's what God uses that as much or more than what you're doing with them by yourself. Discipleship was never intended to be this thing over here and then church over here. No, God's plan is how that all mixes together so it's nurtured as one under the one. And then lastly, a human picture of this one-to-one, and that's marriage. And the quickest way to disciple your kids is have a great marriage. Now, you're going to need to use a few other words, too. Um, My son watched some children, he and his wife, for a family that is in their 40s, and they have two children, and they've never, since they had children, gone away alone. And my son, who's 24, said, that's ridiculous. You know, he's got a 10-month-old. He goes, we've already left her and went away. I said, yeah, why did you do that? And then he laughed. He goes, because I saw you do that all the time. I'm like, yeah. And I said, were you ever messed up from us leaving? He goes, no, we thought it was fun. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, God's genius plans are God's genius plans, I'm telling you. And, and he was like, he was dumbfounded that happened, but it helped him Again, did we just do discipleship on the phone, my son and I, in that conversation? Absolutely. I'm re- reinforcing right things that he'd already seen, and, and then I gave him some scripture that went with it because my son really could use that boost, and I was trying to give it to him. Human picture. Last thing, and I tried to uh, coin something because of my own frailty. I call this synchronous discipleship. Too often when I've done discipleship, I've been thinking about me working with Dave. Me working with, I don't remember your name, Jason, we've met before. Me working with Jason. I've, I often spend all my energy in thinking as these relationships. The synchronous of this is that these two men have relationship with Jesus. I have relationship with Jesus. And as we work, we should never do it without understanding how it is the two of us with Jesus. It needs to be put right together in how we function, however we do that. Um, How do we do that? Simplest language, I'm probably repeating myself. We do it through prayer and the word. Isn't it crazy how a Sunday school answer is still the right answer? We open the word, read, explain, talk about how God has put that into our heart, which is more than fact, how we are struggling with it, how we're having victory with it, how Jesus walks with us, and we talk to Jesus together in prayer over those items with the one, with Jesus, through prayer and the word, and often with others. So other believers giving testimony. I I love to disciple more than just one-on-one. I love it when it's a little bit bigger group because God uses other believers to fix where I am weak or where I'm having a bad week. And he uses that synchronous relationship with him together. That's why church is so beautiful to foster this as we work. Um, with the one, do it as you lead one together. Um, so uh, two questions to fi- finish the message is who? So I'm, I'm asking, write one person's name down right now, okay? Not, not quite yet. You can wait. You can think. Chad's going to play, but you're going to have to write it down, okay? Write one person down, and then write how or what would I do with this person? And you don't have to like plan out four years of how you're going to, just think about the next thing. We don't even know if we have the next day or tomorrow, right? So what's the next piece that you would do with this person? And let me submit that men do better looking at a windshield than sitting at tea together, okay? 
We do better holding on to chainsaws, and you've had a lot of that in Iowa recently, <laughs> okay? We, we do better together with some other focus, especially if they haven't done a lot of discipleship. So blend some of that in. Um, don't just sit with the word and prayer. You've got to do that with every relationship at every level, unsaved included. Um, and we've talked about the John study. It's great. It's brief. It's just a few weeks. Not a hard thing for someone to commit to. Stranger on the Road to Emmaus you talked about. Another great one that's longer. There's uh, several other discipleship things that take people all the way to the gospel, what the gospel is and how you lead that and live that in your life. So do something. But make sure to build into that just time together where you're going to have these kind of talks. My friend Kurt that I talked about last night, when he was trying to get off uh, opiates, um, he needed 24-hour supervision and no money. I mean, this is part of the deal. He had to get past that hump. And so as a pastor, I don't generally have 24 hours just laying around. Um, I can't bring every guy home that I'm working with for 24 hours, although we've done some of that. Um, so I involve other men at church. It's part of God's plan, right? And so I, I asked one of my deacons, I know you're off this week. What else should a deacon want to do? I said, I know you're uh, re-siding your house. Yes. I said, what if I came over with a dude and I helped you for the day? And he goes, cool. I'll take help. And uh, I explained the situation because I had permission to. And let me tell you, I've never been more scared. A three-story house, I don't really like heights anyway. And I'm up there, but this guy who's getting off opioids, he's like shaking. But... <laughs> But he, he was, <laughs> and, but he does heights every day because he, he works with concrete that he does up and just crazy stuff. He's a construction guy. He's used to that. But he sh- I'm scared for him shaking on the ladder, and we're hanging siding all day because he needed a distraction. We just needed to be together. But as that day went, that deacon, he's a spiritual man. Obviously, he let us come hang out, right? And he's speaking stuff. I'm speaking stuff. This guy's asking questions. He's already redeemed, but he's working through the hard stuff now, right? Uh, that goes with that. And, and so make sure that project and some of that stuff is just part of your thinking as you do that. Chad's going to come, and he's just going to play probably one verse of a song. And this is what I want you to do. Don't put away your paper. I want you to write down one guy. One guy that you should start to initiate relationship with to disciple or mentor them. And, uh, and so if you say, I have no idea what I'm doing, then you can write down a second guy. I'm not going to let you out of the assignment, okay, unless you're not redeemed. But if you're redeemed, write down one guy. And then if you're really struggling, saying, I just don't know how to do this, then I want you to write down somebody that you should go to at your church and ask for help, okay? And, uh, and then as you write down this guy's name, just ask the Lord in the quiet. That's why we're going to play a song. Just ask the Lord in the quiet, what would be my next piece with this person? How would I start this conversation what might I bring? It can be at all different ranges. And obviously, if you're struggling with that a little bit, man, it's a great environment to ask some questions. Chad, he's going to play. Do your work.